Welcome back to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. If you're new here, feel free to listen to any one of our previous episodes. Our mission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you'd get your Bibles, open up the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are going to be at the end of chapter 2 for a bit, but we are going to uh, basically take off in chapter 3. Chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 is a little bit of a background. Gives us a little bit of a sense of what um, of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I, I'm going to give what I believe is a fair assessment of what I see um, in the church. Now, church, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about the universal church. I'm not talking about the church that's across the street plus this church. I'm talking about the church, meaning the individuals that make up the church. The church is not the building. The church is the people. The people are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. The church buildings are going to all burn and fall into a pile like everything else on this planet's going to. But what we're experiencing now, we're seeing pressures being placed upon us as Christians that we've never seen before. Now, I would agree that to some extent, life has gotten harder and things have become worse. Uh, economically, uh, it's a roller coaster as far as these health uh, issues that keep popping up. And uh, Can you trust anybody? Now, you should be able to trust brothers and sisters in Christ. But the thing is, and kind of leaning towards what what the, the message is going to talk about a little bit today, if we aren't people who are learning faster than the world goes to hell in a handbasket, then we get caught up in the tide. We get caught up in the current. If If we are individuals who are not growing in Christ faster than the world is going to hell in a handbasket, we will get caught up in the tide. Do you hear what I'm saying? Every time somebody comes to, to church and they sit down in the church, and this is something, a conclusion I draw a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago. If, if an individual comes into the church, that individual, based on statistics and averages, could literally be listed as Unable to comprehend. I mean, comprehension is something that's out the door, right? Compre- to comprehend something, um, to investigate something, to think something through thoroughly. All of us have key areas in our lives where we have the ability to do that. If you live at home by ourselves, what do you do before we go to bed? Make sure the doors and windows are locked, right? Because we're home by ourselves. Isn't it funny how when somebody else is there, though, all of a sudden... You still want to check it, but it ain't nearly as important if there's somebody else in the house with you. There's two people there. The church in this modern day has become an institution where people have gathered together to get what it is that they want, not to give what it is that God wants or just to give appreciation to God for what it is he's done for us. But people largely flock to churches that they want to attend. Now, I'm going to grant you that reasonably, you should be cautious. I mean, it should be a, a church that teaches the truth. It should be a church that uh, that doesn't bend the knee 
to outside forces. There are particular things. But did you know that, do you know why the largest number of people, and this is a statistic that's pretty, I, I, I give it credit for being pretty accurate. Do you know what percentage of people go to church because of the people that attend the church? Seventy-five percent. When people were asked, why do you go to that church? It wasn't because Jesus gave his life for me. It wasn't because the church teaches the truth. It was because they had a friend that attended that church. Now, if I was to tell you that the value of salvation and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ being the greatest gift ever given to mankind, and we go to his house, but we don't don't go to his house to worship him, we go to his house because we want to see our buddies. Or we go to his house because we like the music. Or we go to his house because we like the preacher. We go to his house. It's not because we love Jesus, right? Because let's be honest, if we was to say, I go to church because I love Jesus, how much more easygoing do you think people would be? If we're at church because we love Jesus, and that because he loved us first, then what's the potential for conflict? So in the last part of chapter 2, he talks about spiritual appraisal. We're going to spend a little bit of time on the spiritual appraisal before we move uh, into chapter 3. So in chapter 2, take a look starting at verse 14. He says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, an appraisal. What, do you, what is an appraisal? Determines the value of something, right? In every one of our lives, we make these choices every day. It's, it's very simple for us to have these choices that we need to make. Now, does the world understand what it is, that the, the choices we make? No, they don't. They can't figure out why you give 10% of your money to the church. They can't figure out why you give one of your two days off to the church. They can't figure out why you would even pray to a God when it seems like the world's going in the direction that it's going in. The world does not act like us, and nor should we be individuals who act like them. They can't see the value spiritually in anything because it has to be spiritually appraised. Spiritual appraisal only happens to an individual who is a believer. I've used examples before like gambling. Does the Bible say don't gamble? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says you're not supposed to gamble? No, it's not. So if I was to spiritually appraise whether it's a good idea for me to go up to the boat or not, I mean, the Bible doesn't say that I can't go, right? But a spiritual appraisal means you will see the value in something. In other words, in order for me to win at the casino, what does other people have to do? They have to lose. For me to win... They have to lose. Now, that's not my fault that some dude takes his paycheck to the casino thinking he's going to triple his money and his kids are going to get kicked out on the street. But the fact is, I involve myself in that pool. This is my conviction, not yours. I involve myself in that pool when I go and gamble at the casino. Should, should there be any involvement when it comes to greed? Should it be any involvement from the church? 
when it comes to greed. And people will say, well, well, God doesn't think it's a big deal. Well, let me tell you what is really a big deal. Most people don't go to the casino to have fun. Most people go to the, the casino to get rich. That's why they're there. I mean, they can say, I got 100 bucks, but 100 bucks is gone, it's gone. And I really enjoy going in there and pulling on these levers. Fact is this, folks. Every decision and choice that I make, if it's not spiritually appraised, it comes with consequences. Is it ever wise to say the first thing that comes through your brain? No, because it's usually not. Usually hasn't been filtered yet. If we open our mouths and say something before, we're, before we think about what it is we're going to say, we can say some pretty stupid stuff. Pretty dumb stuff. The spiritual appraisal comes in this. Anytime we look at life, and, and, and I've, had, I've had pastor friends and I've had other people tell me, you can't spiritualize everything. Yes, as a Christian, not only can you spiritualize everything, as a Christian, you should spiritualize everything. The Bible's very clear. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and principalities, the powers of the darkness of this earth. That's who we're fighting. It's Satan. He's the manipulator. He's the one who puts thoughts in our brain. He's the one who sits us in situations that become tempting. He's the one that puts us in these predicaments. But the fact is, if somebody's not, if somebody does not have the ability to spiritually appraise, then they're an open book to whatever influence is out there. I, I mean, I hate to say this because it's been my life in the church, but the fact is, not everybody who's in the church is a Christian. And not every Christian who's a Christian acts like a Christian. Not every Christian who's a Christian thinks like a Christian. We're going to see some examples of that if I get to it down here in a little bit. But the fact is, we can do better. How's your marriage? Here's your choices. How's your marriage? Better than it's ever been. Same old, same old. Or hey, this is getting stinking old. If it's anything but... Always getting better? What's the problem? Maybe it's the house you're living in, the car you're driving. Maybe it's your kids. Is your kids a problem? You see, a spiritual appraisal means you sit down and you be dead honest with yourself. Do I have times in my life that I'm a butthole? Yes, I do. Is this one of them? That's to be determined. But without honesty, we don't draw a conclusion. This comes with everything. There are people that I know who say, you know what, I, tr I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. But my life just isn't full of all of that. In all of the instructions of the scripture, you tell me whether you think this would be good or bad. Following biblical advice in your marriage. Good or bad? Good, right? I mean, Jesus never told 
anybody to do anything harsh to either either gender of the spouse, right? All he's ever did was told people that they were to be good to each other, that they were to be better to each other than they are to themselves. Good or bad? Christian appraisal in the life of our kids. Did you know that we live in a day-to-day where most parents don't see their kids more than a few hours a week? Now question, how many hours a week are they in school? Roughly 40. How many hours a week do they spend with their heads stuck in Facebook? Probably quite a few, right? So if you have a few hours a week with your kid, and the public school they attend has 40 hours a week with them, and social media has 10 hours a week with them, who's teaching your kid? Who's teaching them? It's not you. But they're being taught. You know, I never seen the value, and I thought it was one of the most awkward feelings in the world. The first time I ever prayed with my wife. It's just weird. I mean, it, you sit down with your wife, you're sitting across from each other, you're going to pray with each other. It's just weird. It's not weird because it's weird. It's weird because of a fallen human being, and it's just something in our head. We don't like to pray out loud. We don't like to pray in front of our family. We, don't, we, we just don't do these things. But I seen the value in me going in my kids' room every night and praying with them. As the weeks and months went on, I seen the value in that prayer. And even though Matt and Caitlin um, don't really need to know this, what it did to my heart to know that when they put Jameis in the bed at night, that they go in and pray with him. This... See, folks, these are things that matter, and these are the things that we allow the hectic speed of life to rob us from. We just run through life by the seat of our britches. There is no spiritual appraising or very little going on when anybody says or does anything anymore. Verse 15 in chapter 2 says, But he who is spiritual applies all things or appraises all things, but he himself is appraised by no man. You know what this means? That everything is to be looked at spiritually. And everything is to be appraised spiritually. But what does it mean by, but that man is appraised by no one? It means we're pretty reasonable individuals. And as Christians who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, we have options that a non-believer doesn't have. Our list of options are multiple times the list of an individual who's not a Christian. And every one of us should be calculating not only what we're saying, but how what we are saying is going to impact whatever scenario or circumstance that we are living in. Now, 
promise you that this is in context. When we get into the next chapter, you're going to see a little bit more context tighten up in this. How many of us have ever thought about what we said after we said it? It's pretty easy because all of us do that, right? Discernment is to think about what we're going to say before we say it. Now, I've used this example many times before. I apologize if the repetitiveness of it is boring you, but if I walk in my house at night after a long day's work, she's been working, I walk in the door, I throw my coat down, and I say, Woman, I'm tired. Where's my slippers and my food? Good day or bad day? Now, I use that because it's an obvious one. It's pretty obvious. I'm going to be careful saying this, but I want you to hear what I say, okay? I learned a long time ago that I hold the power to control almost any situation in my life. I do. The power is not in the other person. The power is in me, God, the Holy Spirit. Gives us the ability to be able to say what it is we should say, how we should say it, instead of being people who are sorry for what they said or how they said it. And when we think about the application of this, folks, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to create this ball of what this passage of Scripture is saying. How many of you guys have ever in this life said, what in the world is going on? I mean, I've said it, I don't know how many times through this whole COVID debacle. What in the world is going on? Why does somebody say what in the world is going on? It's because they were surprised by it. The Bible even tells us, dude, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised at it. When you wake up in the morning, how many of you say, it's a good day to die? Say it. You ever said, you ever woke up and said, hey, it's a good day to die? Because the Bible says that if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the gospel's sake, that you will actually gain it. Spiritual appraisal. Be mean to the person at the drive up. Be mean to the person at Walmart. Be mean to anybody. You're going to get that response. Just a fact. But this isn't a sign of anything except for. Spiritual immaturity. That's what Corinth was dealing with, was spiritual immaturity. In other words, people had packed so much stuff in their life and kept themselves so busy that Christianity was a part of their life, but it wasn't all of it. And there's a rude awakening coming for people who think that they can dip their toes in the, in the water of grace and then think and live however they want to. I'll grant you, there are going to be some people who have trusted in Jesus, who wasted their life when it came to Christ, who are still going to go to heaven by the skin of their teeth. But the question is, what are we producing? 
as individuals, can we recognize whether we are spiritually immature in any areas in our life, and then can we be responsible individuals in saying, this is where I am, how do I get where God wants me to be? Last couple of months has been some of the most discouraging in 32 years of ministry. And it's not frustration at anybody, it's frustration at circumstances. But those frustrations They're tied to expectations. I'll admit straight up. As a pastor, I shouldn't have expectations at all. I don't know how fast somebody's growing. I don't know when the Holy Spirit's convicting them. I don't know exactly where people are in their growth. I don't know enough information for me to be someone that has the ability to accurately assess that. But I can say this. I have not met one person who has arrived. Not one person. All of my years of life, I have not met one person who knows this cover to cover and is living it cover to cover. Not one person. So if we know that in this range of life that we've been given, that there is so much more available to us, but we've decided to hit neutral and park in the middle, what are we producing? I can tell you what we're not producing. We're not producing godly marriages. We're not producing godly children. We're not producing a godly atmosphere in the place that we work. We're not sharing the gospel with people, and we're not reading our Bibles. If I was to ask you honestly, and I'm not throwing everybody under the bus. I know some people do. I don't want you answering this out loud, but I want you to answer it to yourself. When's the last time that you sat down, opened the Bible, and just read for an hour? You know, we're going to get exactly out of Christianity what we decide to put into it. It's a fact. I see people all the time who say, well, I don't believe in a God. There's all this stuff going on in the world today, and people are dying of cancer, and I just don't believe in God. At what point does somebody come to realize that the human's way of doing things is a mess? It doesn't work. People have tried marriage without it. Divorce rates through the roof. I've stood up here and told you before, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Jesus, I could name three or four people that probably wouldn't be here right now. Not in the church, but I mean people who wouldn't be on the planet right now. So what was their problem? Chapter three. It says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly, since there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? 
before we get into this next section of scriptures, and it says specifically what's going on here, what Paul is saying their problem is, is that they need to grow up. They need to mature. The cycle in life is for us to be born and to grow both physically, mentally, and spiritually for whatever the number of our days are. If we're individuals who are attaching ours, and it's okay, and I want to be clear here, it's okay for you to have a relationship with me. It's okay for you to have a relationship with people in the church with you. There's nothing wrong with those relationships. Those relationships should be the ties that continue to bind us, that continue to remind us, that continue to keep focus where that focus is supposed to be. People are important, and people attending church is important. But folks, if you're attending this church to hear a good message, Alan's not here, I'll say it for him. He wouldn't come here anyway. <laughs> if you come here because of the lighting, you come here because of the people, you come here because of, that shouldn't be the reason we're looking for a church. It shouldn't be the reason we attend church. But he knows that they're spiritually immature because nobody's given Jesus glory. Everybody's pointing to somebody else in the church and created a division by saying, hey, I'm of that guy and that guy. That's what it's going to say in these next verses. He says, I couldn't give you. I have people who actually leave this church and say that the, that the sermon was too elementary. Which doesn't, no skin off of me. Preach what I'm supposed to preach, and the Lord's going to poke whatever hearts he wants to. It's not my words that are doing it anyway. But the fact is this, folks. I have to be careful when I prepare sermons. Because if I prepare a seminary sermon, you'll all walk out of here with more questions than you have answers. Do I dumb it down? No. Do I water it down? No. Do we soften the edges? No. Do I put it in terms so that people can understand it? Try to, rather than using those big seminary words. But the whole deal is this, folks. When we read the Bible at home, when we hear a sermon preached at the church, when we sit in Sunday school class and we're studying the Bible, are we just passing the time? Is there some other reason for it? Because I'll promise you this, I've done a lot of this in my life. You sit down with your Bible and you give God an hour. Doesn't matter where you start. Give him an hour. Just read. Keep your attention focused on what you're reading. I guarantee you that God's going to teach you something before that hour's up. And hopefully you don't get caught in some, one of these loops. Which the loops aren't that bad, but it can be bad on your sleep schedule. Because when you get to the point that you're in the Bible for an hour and God starts teaching you things, you get hungry. Your mouth starts salivating. You're ready for the fork and the knife. And I've sat down literally at 9 o'clock in the evening to start a, a study and look up. And I, if I was a man who swore, I'd swear I'd been sitting there for 30 minutes. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Chasing rabbits in the Bible. Don't let anybody ever tell you that chasing rabbits is bad. Chasing rabbits is always good. Best way to study the Bible is to chase rabbits. Because you're going to, in just about every verse, you're going to find a rabbit. Chase it. 
Because when you chase that rabbit, it's going to teach you more about what that verse said than you'll ever learn in the context of that particular verse by itself. There's tons of stuff here, folks, that we as individuals just have to realize that we have given ourselves to God, not a building, other people, not to other circumstances. We have been given what we've been given by God. And I owe him every ounce of effort in becoming the person that apparently he's seen that I could be. You believe in coincidences? Do you? Do you such thing as a coincidence? Not to God there's not. Not limited by time and space, the ability to see all things because he knows all things, to be everywhere at the same time. Why are you at church today? Jesus deserves better. He deserves more. Don't let me be somebody who's putting pressure on you because that's not my intention. My intention is not to pressure you. I'm telling you this, and I'm telling you this with an absolute guarantee because it comes from a promise. Give your life to Jesus. And I mean give your life to Jesus. Not one toe in the, in the, in the fountain. All in or none in. That's what he wants. You give your life to Jesus and you make him 100% of your priority and there isn't one area of your life that he won't touch. Not one area. Do you ever wonder how one choice, have you guys ever heard of the butterfly effect? In the, it's kind of a crazy belief, but in a nutshell, basically if a butterfly... If a butterfly flaps its wings on the opposite side of the earth, that it could cause a tsunami on the opposite side of the earth. That's called the butterfly effect. Now, I believe in more practical ways to look at this. The practical way of looking at this is this. Every choice that we have made in life has either been for Christ or not for Christ. Everyone. You say, well, no, my choices are all I have a whole bunch of choices that don't include either one, either one of those. No, you don't. Every choice that you make will either be a choice made from the foundation of Christ or it will be a choice made from the foundation of the fallen nature of, of man. We see this happening to us all around us multiple times a day. People making choices, living out the consequences of those choices. read a little more. Uh, verse 4 says, for, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. See, we have involvement in this plan. God certainly wants us involved with it. The one who waters and the one who sows is the same. In other words, we're all on level playing ground. We've been given no different responsibilities. You say, oh, wait a minute, you've been called to be a preacher, so I know you've been given more responsibilities. Have I? 
Has a preacher been given more responsibility than a Christian, than, than a person who's not a preacher? I've, I've had people say this to me, and I've asked them, okay, you show me something in the scripture that applies to a preacher and does not apply to a Christian who's not a preacher. How many things in here do you think it says preachers should do more than people who are just Christians? It doesn't say it. The difference isn't in our responsibility. The difference is in our accountability. The difference is I've accepted this call, so I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account for the kind of pastor and preacher that I was while I was on earth. That's the only difference between me and you. You're going to give an account too. may not be quite as strict a judgment as someone who accepts a role of teaching or, or pastoring. But the Bible's clear. Everybody's going to have this meeting. Everybody is. And in all of the decisions that we've made in life, we can look at those decisions and we can see what the impact of those decisions were, what the consequences of those decisions were. How many of you did things that you knew you shouldn't do that didn't turn out very well, that when it was over with, you said, hey, I really wish I hadn't done that? Because that's part of human life. Could you imagine being someone that had the, the, the discernment to be able to say, this is what I can do today to have a positive influence on the church. This is what I can do today to protect myself. This is what I can do today to praise Jesus through everything I say and everything I do. Because the problem is this, folks. When people start looking at a leader and saying, I am of, Christ has been removed from the picture. All of a sudden, people are doing what they're doing because a preacher told them to. They're doing what they're doing because somebody who's influential in the church asked them to. Servants. That's what he called us in these verses. And the thing about the word servants, when you see it in the scripture, is it's not only implying that an individual is someone who serves, but it also implies what? That there's someone in authority over them. Right? Would there be any such thing as a slave if there were no masters? A master has to have a slave or they're not a slave. A slave has to have a master or they're not a master. So on the one hand, as a pastor, I'm standing up here trying to appeal to people to, to let people know that there are practical improvements that can happen in life just by believing in Jesus and what this Bible says. A little farther. Verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now this verse is interesting. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field or God's building. And it's a perfect analogy. Only God would really be able to come up with this kind of an analogy because it's a perfect analogy. You see, 
I would be someone who would be categorized as the Apostle Paul. I was called as a servant to serve the Lord, but by extension to serve you. We are the Lord's workers. You are his field and his building. Question. How much value does a field have if it's never planted? Does it have more value when it's, when it's actually being used as a farm field? Or is it more valuable just to own? The interesting thing is, back when this was written, when it was written, all people ate. Jews ate very little meat. Um, they got to eat meat at feasts. That was about the only time that you've seen a Jew eat meat. Most of the time they eat vegetables they grew themselves. They eat some fish, which I realize is meat, but they didn't eat very much of it because it was expensive. This analogy was so hard-hitting, especially back then, because somebody didn't own a field and not plant it. Not only did that not bring income into your family, it also didn't help feed you throughout the year. If I am a worker and you are the field, then what is my responsibility? Let me rephrase this. What is our responsibility? The one who sows and the one who waters is the same, right? Chances of a field being planted with anything if it's not sown. Pretty obvious question, right? Nothing's going to grow if nothing's sown, right? Does the word, does the field need to be prepped? Plowed? Maybe fertilizer put in it? Sometimes maybe, as painful as it may be for the field, need some weeds pulled out? So I want you to go away with this. I'm not calling myself the Apostle Paul. Because in the same way that I am one of his workers, I am also his field. What do I mean by that? Well, you're his servant too, his worker. So I'm a field to you. And if we're all studying and learning, and we're learning together, and we're applying together, we stay on this course where we as individuals are spiritually appraising everything, We've put Jesus in his proper place. We understand that he's the one that deserves credit and attention and glory and not some other human being. We begin to put these things into practice. We start loving our wives the way God intended us to, loving husbands the way God intended us to, raising children the way God intended us to, raising grandchildren the way that God intended us to do, being friends and in business and whatever we may be doing, we're doing it to the glory of Jesus Christ, springing from the foundation that is him. And what I see in the world today just doesn't seem that important. It, do, it just doesn't seem that important. To the church anymore, it doesn't seem that important. I vowed before God to be an individual who would continue to teach the truth here. The truth isn't very easily accepted. Doesn't matter how nice you say it. The truth is the truth. It's always going to offend people. 
People are always going to have hard hearts and hard heads. People are always going to be responding to things that would respond to them. But I want to tell you this today, folks. If you are a Christian, you don't have to respond any way but the way that Jesus wants you to. He has to be first. He has to be put into focus. And we have to be individuals who are spiritually appraising everything that we do. Because everything that we should be doing to expand the kingdom is not happening. And the things that are actually causing the church to shrink, those are the things that are happening. If we as individuals, this church in Corinth was a mess. If you read First and Second Corinthians, it was a mess. Church sits in ruins today. The city sits in ruins today. It would have been tough for someone who was a believer to live in that society. The society where every evening a thousand prostitutes would come down from the temple on the top of the hill and, uh, and try to do business. There's a record in the Bible itself of uh, a man who was sleeping with his dad's wife. Do the math. His mom. And people in the church weren't willing to stand up and say, hey, this is not right. And he corrected them for it. God has given us dominion. He's given us liberty, and that gives us the ability to make whatever choices we want to make. But know this. His desire for us is to make the choices that are pleasing to him. And here's the kicker. It's not just pleasing to him. Turns out it's also exactly what we need. And it improves our life too. Being called a Christian is one thing. Being noticed as a Christian is entirely another. Being a Christian will move mountains. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, this isn't something I'm going to stand up here and try to talk you into. Not something I'm, I want you to come up here and do, but for any other reason except for the fact that God drew you. You may say, wait a minute, how am I going to know God drew me? You will know. You will know. When he speaks to your heart, you can't help but listen. Now, you may sit there and argue with him. If God says, you need to get up there and go up there and talk to that preacher, you may sit there and argue with him, and you may even be unfaithful and not responding to that. But no. That if the Holy Spirit moves you, you will know it's the Holy Spirit moving you. And I'm asking you to be obedient to that. I could ask no more. Believers, I hope that this is an encouragement. And it's an encouragement that we can continue to give through different forms. The, the fact is, the Bible speaks of the great falling away. A lot of people have speculated exactly what that meant. The church attendance in the country has dropped by over 50%. You can say, well, it's because people are afraid because of COVID. And I don't care what the circumstances are. I just want you to hear what I said. Church attendance has dropped 50% in the United States since this COVID stuff hit. Do you realize how many people that is? Southern Baptist Convention, 16 million people. If 50% of those people stopped going to church, 
eight million people in our denomination quit going to church. We quit. I want nothing more than for the people who come to this church to experience life at its absolute fullest. I don't get bonuses for every person that accepts Christ. I don't get bonuses for any time that I talk to people outside of the 8 to 4.30 hours. I have nothing that I get from this, except for just the joy and the peace and knowing that I'm going to have somebody else in the kingdom with me. Jesus deserves better. We're capable of better. We need to be people who are putting forth that effort. Not with pressure. Don't feel like that anybody's forcing you to do it. This is not something that somebody's forcing you for your good. This is something that we should be choosing for the good of others. You get that? This isn't the law. This isn't pressure. This isn't you leave here and do what I tell you to do or you're going to go to hell. That's not what this is about. This is about this church. It's about your life. It's about the quality of life. If you make a decision today, just spend this time between you and the Lord. But if you make a choice to trust him today, please talk to me. Whether it's during the, the invitation time, after church, please talk to me. Thanks for listening. For more information about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We look forward to hearing from you. As always, have a blessed week. The Highland Southern Baptist Podcast is produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.